0: I know a lot of people feel guilt when they feel any joy, Um, but for me, I just really embraced any joy that that came into my life because I knew that any moment would be really hard again. Um, I felt like those moments of joy gave me the strength to keep going when another wave came and when another grief wave came, when things got really hard again. So they were like, almost like a moment of fresh air where I could just like, enjoy the moment, Um, but definitely even those moments of joy were different than the moments of joy before Aria died.
1: Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process, as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today, I will be talking to Megan Hillica. Did did I say it this time right? Now I want to say it. Okay. So this has been my biggest challenge doing the podcast is pronouncing people's names correctly. (laughs) One of my biggest challenges. Um, I've had episodes in which I've completely, you know, said the last names come ro- uh, absolutely wrong. So um, I, I should just practice before I start recording. Um, so welcome Megan to our podcast. I'm glad you're here.
0: Thank you for having me, Kendra. I'm really excited to start chatting about grief, which seems kind of funny, but anyway, I love talking about grief. And
1: It's so weird, right? It. It's so weird that when you're in this um, arena that that we actually look forward to bringing up this conversation of it, yeah. like that we. But you know, I think it comes from trying to, you know, when you've experienced it, you do want to be able to talk about it, to you know, gr- grieve through it as you're, you know, as you're going through it, and um, and normalizing the conversation is something important. And I mean, that's the whole point. I created the podcast was exactly for that, to be able to normalize this conversation about the topic of grief and the topic of death, which we don't talk enough about. And I think that that's why then grieving becomes so unknown when we experience death because we we have, we have don't talk enough about death, right, to be able yeah, to totally. know about it. So let's first do a few of just getting to know each other kind of things, which we are just the two of us just getting to know each other is our first conversation. <laughs> so, um, so where do you live?
0: I am from um, Minnesota, like Twin Cities area, Minnesota.
1: I don't hear the O. I don't hear the Oda. I don't hear it. <laughs> I don't hear it. I'm good with accents and I don't hear the soda. Oda O. the, don't the, so, don't, isn't Minnesota. Is it? No. Or is, or is that more than Dakota? That's more like Dakota. Canada, I think. And, and Canada and Dakota and the Dakotas, the Northern part. Okay. Okay. Then I'm totally wrong. Uh, So you're from Twin Cities and then that's where you were uh, born and raised and that's where you live now. Yeah. Okay. And then um, tell us then a little bit about your uh, family uh, and then that way we can navigate into your grief story there. So your mom's story.
0: Yeah, I am married to my husband, Justin. We have been married for almost 10 years. We have six children, um, ages almost nine to 18 months or so. And within those six children, we do have a daughter who died almost, it will be five years. Um, she died in 2016. And so I guess we have a big hole in our family, big part of our family missing, even though we have a lot of kids, come you know, compared to a lot of people in a lot of people's view, and it doesn't matter how many kids you have, you always have that hole. There's that big, huge, gaping hole in our family.
1: Yes. Now, how old was she? And I just, I her, Aria, just from your website, was her, is her name? What? Uh, how old was was Aria when she passed away? She was. And what years word old. do you like to say, by the way? And what word, what phrase would you like? Us to refer in terms of that is passing away okay for you? Yeah, or is there I'm good with that. Words? Okay, okay. No. So, um, what? So she was 15 months old.
0: Yeah, she was 15 months old, 15 months, 11 days. Um, she died in the night in her sleep, and I was due with her little sister in four weeks, so I was 36 weeks pregnant. Oh wow! Um, with my fourth child, and then she died. In the night, um, like sudden unexplained death in childhood, it's similar to SIDS, but it's just once they turn a year old, like there's no cause of death, just Mm. sudden and unexpected.
1: They don't call it, they don't call it uh, SIDS anymore after the year, after the year. No, it's
0: sudden unexplained death in childhood after a year.
1: And then your other two children are the older two, then where is, are they boys and how old were they when Aria? passed away Yep, there's two
0: boys and they were four and two and a
1: half so four two and a half and then aria was 15 months you were about to deliver then it was in another daughter Yep. at that moment you're expecting yep. you said okay and here you are pregnant and then experiencing this moment of grief very close to the time in which you're about to give birth so a moment of joy was about to come just around the corner with this, uh, you know, a, a sudden grief experience. So take us a little bit into that um, moment. You said you found her then at night and you don't have to, we don't have to go into the details, but part of the reason is that you did suffer PTSD from that as what you shared with me in the email. So um, so let's let's talk a little bit about that and how you navigated that at the same time as about to give birth
0: yeah it was a lot like many times i thought how do you say goodbye to one child and hello to another in such a short period of time like it's like how am i going to do this how do you do this um and i think like with anything in grief is you don't have a choice you don't have an option so that's what you're doing right none of us chose to say goodbye and you know people ask like how are you doing it and it's like well I don't really have another choice. It's just what is going on in my life right now. Um, And yes, I was diagnosed with PTSD. That's post-traumatic stress disorder after Aria died because I found her in the night. And, or actually I found her in the morning, but yeah, I, it was horrific. It was horrific to live with the trauma. Um, I think grief and trauma have so many parallels. But there are so many different things about trauma that it's important to understand. Like I I talk about grief and that we can learn to carry the grief. We can learn to live with the grief and hold space for the grief. And it's kind of a part of us for the rest of our lives. And trauma is something that can be healed. something that you can finish the trauma cycle. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was terrified with my new baby girl. Um, of her dying in the night, of her sleep, I was scared of my other children, I lived in a state of absolute panic, and terror, and fear, every single day, I would have flashbacks, and moments of like, shaking my other kids, thinking that they're dead, and gone, and like, it was so real to me, over, and over, and over again, and it was really horrific to live that again, and again, and again, and so that's where the trauma came in, and where like, it lasted, for you know a long time until I got the help for it but anybody can have those flashbacks and those kind of things for a while but as if it keeps happening for a long period of time for you know if I would have not gotten the help that
1: I got with it
0: I would still be there I have no doubt that it would still affect me to because it becomes the paralyzing
1: way. it becomes paralyzing when it already mm-hmm. gets to a point in which it paralyzes areas of your life and stops you from being able to live a life, that's, that's already when it's already like, you really do need help at that, you know, even before that, probably that's so good that you seek to help. What you were describing about the fear. Um, I, I always say this to people, I can never say I understand their grief because I don't, even if it's that I've experienced the, you know, similar type, I, I know that I can't say I understand it. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that aspect of, uh, what you were talking about, the fear of what would happen to your kids. My first pregnancy was a miscarriage. And so that aspect of like the whole pregnancy, the not knowing what was going to happen. And when you know that, that uncertainty component, and like, Mm -hmm. like when you were explaining of how you would like not know, you know, be afraid of even probably even going to sleep yourself. Like I, i i'm just like multiplying even just that glimpse of mine with a miscarriage of the fear of like my next pregnancy whether it was going to be viable to what your experience was i it's like unimaginable like i i don't it's um i mean i'm imagining it but not being able to really (laughs) like completely comprehend it oh gosh um so then how long did that take for you so okay I, let's so when you had your daughter how was that for you to be on that survival mode still here you know with your you know giving love were you able to nurse did you produce milk by the way too at that yeah. moment and sorry this is very tmi information but i'm <laughs> That's just curious yeah, so what the body does You were, you know, but you know what I'm talking about? I was just wondering like what the body does in that aspect of still feeling this amount of sorrow. I wonder if it ends up something happening of it not even being able to fully, I don't know. Does that make sense? Is that a really weird question?
0: No, it's not because there's a lot that I've learned about like trauma and pregnancy, even how it affected my daughter, Um, even though she was unusual. but the trauma that I experienced she has had now that she's four and a half we have seen different things that have come out in her that I do believe are from that trauma that I experienced and that how much she was affected by what I went through Mm -hmm. um and definitely you know I kept wondering like is is this baby gonna come sooner because of all the stuff I'm experiencing but I think I don't know. I guess it was good the way that things happened because I needed every second t- to be able to try to process before she was born. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, what kind of language did you use for your sons then? Because there were four and two at that time. I I asked this then to parents that have had, you know, either you know if their their spouse pass away, explaining to their child or another sibling. What kind of words did you use? To explain to them what had happened to Arya.
0: Um, I think at that time, there, I definitely got a lot of like pamphlets and things that said like things not to say and whatever. And it's kind of like, I guess we just kind of said the truth and what we believe that she died and she went to heaven and she's not here anymore, her body doesn't work. Um, just all these things that as they've gotten older we've been able to talk more about kind of what happened um but at that stage it was just like I don't what do you say you know she yes. she died and that's mm-hmm. you know they'd ask why and like we don't know we don't know why we don't understand why um and we believe that it was her time to go that that's our faith is that um God took her home and that you know whatever but just the really trying to communicate that I, I think something that like she died in her sleep and so we didn't want to say that I, she I was just or... going to
1: ask you so I was actually going to ask you that component right That I was actually just taking notes here to ask you that next was that something that then it, was there fear around falling asleep for your other two based no, on Not I at think all. right away okay. they
0: didn't fully understand that she died Good. in her sleep. Okay. Um, and it probably hasn't been until, you know, my older son can read and we have a book. I made a book about her and it talks about that. And I think they can start to understand now as they're getting older. But at that point, I don't think they really knew that it was you know in her sleep. But I have seen like, even in my daughter who didn't even know anything about that and like different my different children I've seen it come up where they've had like tons and tons of nightmares at a certain age or whatever and they have a hard time sleeping and I do think that that's related to all of the sleep the sleep issues that we've had kind of since she's died
1: absolutely Yeah, especially if in the first, you know, what would you say your most like PTSD occurred in the first year, two years? When was it that you felt that it was the strongest for you?
0: Well, for sure in the first year, because that's when I did it. I spent my life going to therapy and doing the work and Mm -hmm. processing the grief and the trauma and getting help. So it was the first year. And by the end of the first year, I had done so much work on myself and really healing that trauma that it definitely wasn't as big of a thing. I would say it probably affected me greatly for the first year. And then the second year was easier. And now I don't, I don't really live with the trauma. I would say, yes, trauma can be healed. It's still a part of you. It's still a part of your life. It's still a part of your story. I still have moments where Like, I'll go check on my other children, my sleeping baby. Maybe my baby's not getting up. And I kind of like, oh, they should be getting up. And I can get a little bit anxious. And I, but the thing is, I'm not terrified to go check on them. Like, for me, at some point, I just wouldn't even go look at them. Or I had to go check on them right now in order to, like, stop this anxiety or fear inside of me. And now I don't get that bodily response. It's just a thought in my mind that's always there. It's still there every single day. Like, what if I find another dead child? But it's not a physical bodily response that keeps me in this place of terror every day. Mm
1: -hmm. I think that's important that what you're just saying right there, because it's acknowledging that it's there, but not allowing it to control you is what makes it be that the trauma is no longer there controlling you. You, Yeah. You have, of course, the thought. Yeah.
0: The thing with trauma is like no matter how much you try to, you know, talk your way out of it or reason your way out of it, there's just no way to do that. You can't reason your way out of trauma. You have to get the help. You have to really rebuild those pathways in your brain and connect the parts of your brain that aren't communicating anymore, turning the parts of your brain on that turned off in that trauma experience and it's so important to get the help for it because it doesn't just go away. And I have done the work. It is exhausting. It's a lot of work, but it has absolutely changed my life. And every single day I'm so grateful when I can feel this calm in my body versus that absolute horrible ball of stress that was in my chest that I told everybody was slowly killing me.
1: Wow. Now what type of uh, therapy, um, What did you feel helped the most to move through the trauma? What type of method?
0: Yeah, so I did um, EMDR. It's Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And the thing I would say about that is it's really, really important to have a therapist who, number one, you connect with, where you can feel safe in their space, and number two, that Something that I've learned from talking with other people is that sometimes you can have a therapist who pushes you when you're not ready, and I think it's very important that you are the leader in your healing, and your in your, you know, working through your stuff, and your therapist is your guide. They're the person helping you shine a light into the darkness, but they're not forcing you to do anything because... It is something that can be really scary because it could, you could get re-traumatized, but if you go at a pace that's safe for you, if you listen to your body, if you listen to what's going on inside of you, it is absolutely life-changing. So EMDR is like, I had these buzzers in my hand that would go back and forth and some people do like, um, with their eyes following a laser, Some people tap on the right side and left side of your body, but it's really connecting your right side and left side, turning on both sides of your brain, going back and forth. Mm -hmm. And
1: my changing the neuropathways kind of thing of how it affects you, like how those memories affect you physically. Is that basically Mm -hmm. also what you do as they're like going through that? You're kind of just changing the chemistry of your... Of your brain process,
0: yeah. So you like reprocess the memories, mm-hmm. and so two different ways that I have thought about it. This is not actually like scientifically the way that it is. Um, as I learned more about it, there's a lot more like more
1: <laughs> this is the way you interpret, this is your interpretation of it as you go yeah. through it. Yeah. And
0: and it and it really helped me to understand. So I think of it as like your. Right side and your left side of your brain, right, have all these pathways, neural connections that connect them. And when you have trauma, it just cuts those in half. Your right side and your left side of your brain cannot Don't
1: communicate. yeah They can't
0: communicate. And so with EMDR, you're rebuilding those pathways mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth onto your inferior right side and left side of your brain so that they can communicate. And so your brain isn't like, okay, this happened. And now I'm stuck here because this is happening again and again and again and again. Because your brain and your body believes that it's happening over and over. And no matter how much you talk about it, no matter how much you you know say, Oh no, I'm gonna be good, your body doesn't believe it. Your body's still in that state of being stuck and terrified and fear and shock. And so you need to rebuild those path pathways in your brain. And another analogy I can quick give is like to help understand is like your brain is like a computer it has a bunch of files that files all the memories of the things that have happened in your life and when you have a traumatic experience that file is in the forefront ever present and you can't file it as a past experience it's constantly pulled up. it's constantly there it's happening again and again and again and until you can learn to file that like your brain can file that file that memory as something that happened in the past, then you're going to keep living it again and again, and again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to change. I, I remember when I was, uh, I don't know, 19 or something, I was uh, this, uh, therapist, I was in a dance group and he was kind of making, making us, giving us an example of how you could change like fears into changing how they were stored in your brain into happy memories, something like that. So he'd make us like, think of, okay, like, um, it, what color is it? Is it in black and white? Is it in color? Is it moving? Are you in the picture or are you outside of it? You know, like kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so if I switch and then think of a happy memory, what color is that? Is it in color? Is it in black and white? Are you in it or are you at it? Now let's switch that other memory to make it look like this one visually. Mm-hmm so that it stores I remember that that exact when you said a file when that in that that back then it was filing cabinet it was not like the- <laughs> <laughs> there was no there was no uh virtual files then but um I don't think I think we had just started a computer so I think it was more like a filing cabinet and putting it in another you know putting it in the filing cabinet of happy memories even if it had been a hard one but if it recognized it as this, you know, had the same color and, you know, so forth in the memory box, it wouldn't trigger the emotion that it is. So I'm assuming it was kind of like a very glimpse kind of vision, you know, of what you are explaining now. And it, yeah. when you were saying that, I'm like, oh, I rem- I, I kind of had that, you know, a while back. Um, <laughs> now, how in this process, then you went through that for that uh, year, you navigated your grief. How did you and your husband, was it Jason? Jason, is that you said? Justin. Justin, Sorry. I was mm-hmm. like, I was like no, uh, you said at the beginning, how did Justin and you then, um, navigate this grief at the same time of balancing all these joyful moments, uh, with your kids too. And how did you react when joy would come into your life? If yeah. That, so, like those joyful moments.
0: First How, the joy, yeah. yeah. For me, um, I know a lot of people feel guilt when they feel any joy. Um, but for me, I just really embraced any joy that, that came into my life. Because I knew that any moment would be really hard again. Um, I felt like those moments of joy gave me the strength to keep going when another wave came. And when another grief wave came, when things got really hard again. So they were like almost like a moment of fresh air where I could just like enjoy the moment. Um, But definitely, even those moments of joy were different than the moments of joy before Aria died. And now I would say they're even different than now because now my joy is way, way deeper and way more expansive than it was in that moment. It felt like even. The joy that I had was always clouded by a heavy weight. Now I don't have that anymore. But my husband and I um, really had a hard first year. It was very difficult for us um, to communicate, especially with my trauma. When you're in a state of trauma and you don't feel safe in your body, everything, it's hard to connect. It's hard to feel love and connection. All those emotions that you really need to feel safe and grounded to be able to feel um I was very angry and snappy and um I spent a lot of time at therapy and just trying to pull myself back together is what I felt like I was broken and shattered and I needed a lot of help um and my husband kind of became the rock and really just did what he felt like he needed to do um And it was just, it was really hard. It was hard on him. It was hard for him to feel like his wife changed so much. And wondering many times, you know, he had wondered, like, do I even love this lady anymore? Is Like, how do I, how do I connect with her? And then we're both grieving and we're both grieving in a different way. Um, And that was hard too. Like, I wanted him to grieve the way that I was grieving because I wanted to connect with him through that. And he grieved a different way. And it took me a long time, not super long time, but it took me a while to understand that he was grieving. He missed her and it didn't look the same as my grief, but it didn't mean that his grief was any less or that he was in any less of pain. Um, it just meant that he showed it a different way. He processed it in a different way and that I had to be okay with that. And I am okay with that. And I feel like that was the hardest, absolute hardest year of our marriage. Um, But now we have the most amazing marriage, but I don't believe we would have had those hard conversations. We had to have so many hard conversations, super painful, super hard conversations that I would have never had, that I wouldn't even have considered sitting through until grief and Aria's death really forced us to sit down and those kind of conversations and i begin to learn that that is where our marriage has deepened is when we communicate and we know that we can get through hard things together and we can have these hard conversations um that has been it's been really amazing but it's been a really really hard journey i guess to get to where we are
1: you you touched on several things um in, in this uh, what you were sharing right now one was that aspect of one how people do grief differently uh, here it was you both had had your daughter both had experienced the same loss yet both of course experiencing it very differently and that disconnect could drive people apart but the fact that during that time like you said the having conversations and the fact that you were also getting, you know, help for your trauma component too. Um, And then realizing that you were both grieving just differently, you know, not it, that, that was what was able to kind of mend that bridge that was there, that you felt that was different, that disconnect, right? Um, Kind of like we were talking about the the left and the left side of the brain and the right side, it's kind of that, like you guys yeah. just had to, again, build that neural yeah. pathway then again here to realize, oh, wait, yeah, they're different, but it's still grief. We're just expressing it differently. Um, so that that is huge. And the aspect, because again, I don't know if those statistics are still true or not or things, you know, my parents experienced the loss of a child, my, my sister passed away. So I've seen that as a child viewing that in parents. And I know Mm -hmm. how different each of them grieve, but, um, the, how many, you know, marriages sometimes there's, I don't, I'm sure there's statistics. You may know this. I don't know this, you know, end up driving, you know, themselves apart because of how they grieve. Is so differently and they can't find that connectiveness again so you've already experienced the hardest part in your marriage ever like you said so you guys will be able to do anything else from there on <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what
0: it feels like right now and I yeah. I think that that statistic is really thrown around a lot and I think yeah, that, that it's
1: probably not even true it's
0: not always <laughs> yeah. true oh well, uh-huh. no i think it's what people believe and i think Mm -hmm. for me it's a something okay if you like i was terrified okay is our marriage going to survive this because that's Mm -hmm. you know what a lot of people say and um i was told by my therapist that it's not that it's only marriages that were already rocky to begin with like kind of on the edge before this happened that that's very common with but it doesn't like, just because your child dies doesn't mean your marriage has to end. Mm -hmm. And I think what I, what I see a lot is that we had the hardest year ever. And if we had been like, well, our marriage is ending, it could have been so easy to give up and be like, no, we're done. But I think it's so important to know that there can be really hard seasons and you just have to give it time where you work through it and you continue to keep trying to communicate, continue to keep trying to learn to love each other because it's a lot to go through. And when you can give yourself, both of you, the grace and the space to Uh, work through it in your own way, Mm -hmm. then things can happen and change. It becomes so much more beautiful. Like our marriage is so much deeper than it has ever been. And we wouldn't experience this unless we had done this hard work of communicating and connecting and keep trying again and again and again.
1: That, that is so, what you just said about the, the season, right? Even just the seasons in grief too. There's still going to be other seasons in our own grief that may be tough again, even though mm-hmm. we might have had three seasons of good. There might come a really tough winter unexpectedly right as well so how do you navigate your grief now um and what tools do you use to navigate your grief
0: yeah the biggest thing I would say now for me is that I know that grief is with me for a lifetime and where before I would fight it and be like oh I don't want this to be a part of my life I don't I don't want to feel it I don't want to like, I'd get angry when my grief came again. And now I know that it's with me forever. And when my grief comes, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not trying to get rid of it. I just let it be there. I'm like, yes, this is grief. Here it comes. I can feel it coming. Um, I hold space for it. I sit with it. I feel it. And for me, it's a reminder that Aria lived, that I love her. I loved her. I still do that she is a part of my life and with me forever. And I'm never going to forget her. And like, I welcome it. It's okay for it to be there. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge thing that I do, but I do a lot of different things that really help me. Um, this is what I teach moms that I work with is I do a lot of meditations and connecting with the emotions in my body. i really learned this in my own therapy sessions is feeling the emotions, experiencing them, where are they in your body? What color are they? How do they feel? Because so often we're so disconnected. we The pain is so great that we want to leave our bodies, We want to get out of them and like numb it rather than going into our bodies and feeling it. And so I do a lot of that in myself anytime I have any emotion, even if it's not related to grief, instead of stuffing it down, which would be my natural tendency to want to, is um, really sitting with it and processing it. Um, I also do emotional freedom technique. It's a tapping that has been super helpful for me in so many aspects with grief and other emotions, and that's also something I teach moms to do. Um, and really just noticing the thoughts that I have that keep me suffering. So for example, a lot of moms feel guilt and a lot of, like I think anybody who's had somebody they love die, They feel guilt because what could have I done differently to save them? Was there a role that I played in this? Is there something I could have changed? And I felt a lot of guilt. And for me, I was on this loop where the thoughts kept going again and again and again, where I just, I couldn't get out of the cycle. It was my fault. There was something I could have done. Could have I, you know, what if I would have gone (laughs) because she had cried in the night? And what if I would have gone in there? And excuse me. Held her or something, what if she wouldn't have died? And I just kept going over and over and over in that. And once I was able to, it took me a while and it took me a lot of processing and work to be able to change that to even if I would have gone in there and hugged her and told her I loved her, she still would have died in the morning. Like there was nothing I could have done. I couldn't have changed anything. Um And it took me a long time to be able to let go of that guilt and that it wasn't my fault and there was nothing I could have done. But noticing the thoughts that were in my mind to be able to, you know, work through it and be like, okay, this is what's making me feel guilty. And when I'm ready to let go of the guilt, I can change these thoughts to something else that really brings me to a place of like, it wasn't my fault. I loved her. I did everything I could. I cared for her the best way I could. and, yeah, so doing that kind of thought work is super, super helpful. I always say it's like learning how to just live with the pain of grief because grief is really painful instead of suffering under the weight of all the stuff that we add on top of it.
1: Mm-hmm. I th- I, what you said about acknowledging the presence of it, and the, uh, I think it's, it, it is so much easier to just allow it, to be than to push it away it takes so much more energy to push those feelings away than just to feel them like when you're pushing them away I feel like it's like a pressure cooker type of thing mm-hmm. you know it's like you put this cover on it and they're just like boiling up there and it's like it so much force is in needed and energy to just try to keep them in rather than just feeling them as they as they um as they come and acknowledging that they're there. And like you said, switching a little bit of those emotions of, um, with the rationale, right. That you use now in order to be like, well, yes, I have those feelings of guilt, but I would have not been able to change the outcome, you know? So kind of giving your own pep talk per se to navigate through some of these, you know, uh, Neg- I don't I, I would say the negative self-talk would the uh, other that would be in a self-help kind of aisle type of aspect, but yeah. <laughs> in this case it'd be that the uh, the those aspects of guilt that that come here, you just have to switch them switch them out. Um, and now how has that role and, and when when did the role of you starting to help others begin? and how has that been instrumental in your own uh, g- grief journey? of now being a support for others.
0: Yeah, I think it's been about two years when I started exploring, you know, how can I help others? I do remember sitting in my own therapy sessions and like really wanting to help other people with this, but I was like, I don't have the energy. There's no way I can help others right now because I'm so broken myself. There's no way I have the energy or the capacity. My energy is beyond empty. Like I can't give to anybody else right now. And so once I was able to get into a much better place, feeling a lot more grounded in my own life and feeling like I can, can help others, um, I really dove into it. And what I learned, which is very interesting, is like experiencing grief and living with it is one thing. And then diving deeper in how can I help others move through it as well is like a whole nother layer of like, how can I help people? How can I teach them? How can I guide them through this as well? It's like a whole nother layer of learning and a whole nother layer of diving into how the body works and how our emotions work and really talking with tons of moms about their grief journeys and their experiences and how it's so possible for every one of us to feel that hope and that joy again, but also that we are going to carry grief with their, with us for the rest of our lives. So it's it's really been an evolution of me going from this isn't about my grief anymore, which I, it is. You know, I grieve still. I still have a lot of grief, but it's not that when I work with moms. It's not about my grief, but I have to be in, in a place where I can hold
1: space for them and their grief and not make it about me. It's all about them. Yeah. You, you end up, um, help We help ourselves by helping others. So many times I feel sometimes you get more, (laughs) like I feel, I sometimes feel kind of like I'm cheating. Like I'm like, well, it really is helping me even more than (laughs) than maybe it even helped the other person. There's this sense of, uh, fulfillment and ease and as you're saying like being able to give somebody else the tools that helped you um, and yeah that act of service is just um, so important so would you would you say then that this aspect right now here of you giving to others has been one of the biggest learnings of your grief journey or if you want to share what things you've learned, or that you're grateful for of your growth in this process?
0: Yeah, I would say, um, first, yeah, helping others has been amazing. And really, like when I'm with somebody on a call, and they can see the difference in their body, and they can feel it. And they they're like, this is the first time I felt hope. This is the first time I've been able to see that, like, maybe I'm going to be okay. It's like, the best thing that I can hear like I'm like yes it works it it's helps like that's what I'm here for but the things that have changed my life is I have learned that we can die at any moment any of us my husband I could my other children people I love can die at any second and I think we want to like um ignore that fact and kind of pretend that it's like it doesn't happen you know like especially with child loss we're like this isn't supposed to happen this doesn't happen it's like well actually it did happen it does happen every day to people it Happened to me and I just really want to learn to be content in the moment that I have and live the life that I have right now and really like we have so many things that we put off for another day or like later on or oh, when I'm retired or when I'm whatever. And I'm like, no, how can we live our life now? How can we live the way that we want to live now? How can we connect as a family now? How can we spend time together? How can we make that our number one priority is connecting and being together? I really learned that my relationships and my faith are really the most important things to me in my life. And so really, I feel like it took me... (laughs) Aria dying to really kind of understand that on a deep level, because I think I took everything for granted and I took everything like it's just going to always be this way. And I learned that it's not, it might not be. And I really want to, it's almost like learning to live fully because mm-hmm. not out of fear. I'm, I don't feel like I'm in fear of like we might die tomorrow, but because we could die tomorrow. And I want to live our best life now. And so, that's a huge thing that we have learned and i feel like we spend a lot of time as a family together because of that and like spending time, quality time really how do you connect with your children how do you connect with your spouse um but that's something that we have learned and then the other aspect for me is that i was terrified of feeling emotions i was terrified of hard conversations before aria died i would rather, you know rather than have a hard conversation with somebody, I would rather like end the friendship or just ignore it or shove it under the rug and pretend it wasn't there. And now I've learned that the hard conversations really bring out so much deeper meaning, and feeling the heavier feelings really bring so much more joy. So I learned that processing these really deep emotions, my emotional, spectrum my color wheel of emotions has expanded to way more that you know I didn't even know it was so it was possible to feel such deep pain in my life but on the other end of that I didn't know it was possible to also feel so much joy because I've had that depth of pain I can also have that depth of joy
1: Mm. And, and all this you learned also just from those hard conversations that you and Justin had to have during that time too, like that, that was, that was one of those learnings was that hard conversations are needed in order to awaken all these other levels of emotions. It's like another language, like you learn another language when you open that possibility of having tough conversations.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: Mm So, as you said like the emotional wheel and stuff. So it's like, oh, wait, I can feel this, 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 this. (laughs) It's like it it expands it. It's expansive instead of constricted. Um, There's so
0: many emotions that you can feel in there. They're not all super pleasant, but there is some that are so pleasant because you felt the unpleasant ones. Mm
1: -hmm. Now with that, with that vocabulary now that you have of that emotional vocabulary, how do you then now... Help your children through their own understanding of emotions when they're feeling something, like when they're going through a tantrum. Like, does it change the way that you even communicate through them of what it is they're feeling in that moment?
0: Yeah, this is something I'm definitely working on myself. I think the biggest thing for me is like-
1: especially, especially to have the time to actually think of it because it's like we all like had time to like. If I would go back in time to when my kids were little, the amount of things I'd change. You know, like if I had slept enough, if I had eaten enough, like maybe my temperament and stuff would have been better, that I wouldn't have had more teachable moments rather than reactive moments. So let's just talk in those moments that you've actually slept and that you have (laughs) a clear mind. Do you use those opportunities to expand on their emotional you know, vocabulary. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure.
0: I was going to say that a lot of it is me being in control of my own emotions is the first part mm-hmm. It's like me being like, okay, my kid is screaming. That doesn't mean I have to start screaming. I can calm down. Like I have to be in control myself before, you know, I can you mm-hmm. know, start working and helping them. But I do do different things with my kids. Sometimes I just let them, whatever they're, crying about or whatever I just I don't try to change it or fix it I just be with them I double them I hold them if they want to sometimes they just want to be left alone um and just really help them like when they get to a place of calm down then we work through it and like yeah you were really sad you know what was happening in your body what were you so sad about kind of working through it that way but as like my kids have gotten older I've also when my child is like super grumpy and they won't talk to me i'll talk them through connecting with what's going on in their body be like what do you feel you know to me it seems like you're really grumpy or you're really frustrated um where do you feel that in your body i might say when i get frustrated i kind of my jaw starts to clench and i get my throat starts to get really tight And it feels like I can't talk. Does it feel like that for you? Or like trying to help them start to notice what's going on inside of their bodies when they are feeling an emotion. And then another thing that I do is like behavior always comes from an emotion that they're feeling. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so if they're not behaving or being really mean to somebody, I'll ask them like, what's going on with you like what are you frustrated about what are you angry about like what what emotion are you feeling what's going on with you that you're hurting other people Mm -hmm. and a lot of times you're like I didn't even know I was frustrated I didn't know I was angry or I don't even know what's going on and it just really like give them the space like okay then maybe you can go sit and have some quiet time in your bedroom and just think about what's going on you know inside of you so you can really get present with why you're hurting other people because it's really important to process that emotion that you're feeling. Mm-hmm.
1: And do you think four years ago, five, would you, would, this would have been how you would have? <laughs> no, <then>? no. Yeah. <laughs>
0: no, I, I have learned a ton about emotions and processing, and, you know, four years, four and a half, five years ago, for me, it was like can you just listen to me? Hello? Like, do this, do that. Like I wanted them to all be little ducks that followed me and listened Mm -hmm. to what I said and did. And I learned a lot. I said so.
1: Yeah. Cause I said so and trying to fix what it was they were feeling rather than just allowing them to feel not much different than with grief, just feel it. And just, like you said, like they want to have a tantrum, just have it, get it out of your system kind of like you know get it out and then navigate through it I know there's so many things that now I'm like man could I go back and change that even still (laughs) I'm still with I'm with teenagers now very different too because then it's always the ego that comes into play and is it you know it's the ego that's wanting to try to fix the situation and make it be my way but that's not really what it is yeah That's not really what it's about um I wanted to ask you, how do you honor as a family um, Aria's uh, memory in your life um, now?
0: Yeah. Before I say that, quick, I hope you can't hear my kids crying in the background. there with a the babysitter, oh. but oh, is if it you already? Is- them, I apologize. I
1: know. <laughs> Which, by the way, before we started recording, when she was saying, you know, she's got five kids right there at home, I'm like, from nine, you know, from eighteen months to nine years old, and I'm like, wait, <laughs> how did you find time to do this recording? <laughs> So it's like you like, oh I scheduled a babysitter. So yeah. thank you for doing that. Are they is it okay? Do you need to tend to them? It's no, totally I don't. I had
0: fine. a babysitter. So they're fine so with babysitter. I just wanted okay. to mention that in case you hear
1: them. Oh, it's it's life, right? It's life. Yeah. So they're not knocking outside your door like mama. <laughs> no, no.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, um, Pause and then record afterwards if you needed to tend. So not a not problem. No, so there. yes, how do you how do how do you honor her in your life I saw something the other day of like a family picture of somebody um and they hold a they uh, there's always a teddy bear in their family pictures kind of just to honor the presence of their sibling uh for example that was like one thing so what are some of the things you do as a family to keep her memory and to to talk about her and um and especially to the ones that never met her in person right so how how is her how is her life in your life now
0: I feel like there's a lot a lot of ways we do we talk about her often she's talked about every day um, especially just like by my kids during play they'll be eating and they'll be like oh is eating food too or Aria's looking at us
1: or like the she, little ones you know? the youngest ones
0: yeah all of they, them they all, all talk the about her every day um, like even my daughter will be talking with something. she'll be like yeah do you know Aria do you remember Aria like she'll I just love when it comes up like in conversation um amongst my kids my kids will bring her up often and we talk about her a lot too and something we've done which has been really fun is we light a candle in our living room where we have four candles on our table and so each of my kids that are old enough they we light the candle and then they can blow out they say something that either they remember about her or that they would like to do with her if she was alive and so mm-hmm. they say that and then they blow out the candle and we've also done this for my husband his sister died um 19 years before Arya did, mm-hmm. and um so they'll say something about her too which is really fun mm-hmm. and it's just a way that we Talk about her and keep her alive in our house. Um, we have many things that we do for her birthday. Normally we've done a, a meal, Ronald McDonald meal, because she was at the hospital and we used that Ronald McDonald house um on her first birthday. And so that has been really helpful. I I guess I don't know if we're gonna be able to do that this year, but we've done a lot of different things, like just we have a lot of things in our house. We have pictures of her, we have angel statues we talk about her a lot I made a book um, it's like a scrapbook with all the pictures that I have of her in her life and I got a bunch of my friends and family to just give me any memories they have of her so then they have all of everyone's memories of her throughout that book and then all my memories and all my husband's memories too and that book has just been really really helpful for my husband and for my other kids to look at
1: so that they feel like they know her it's as if they they end up borrowing those memories and making them as if they're their own oh remember when aria did i this it remind like that's kind of my kids talk about sometimes when they've watched like videos of them when they were little, but it's really not they, not that they remember it's just because mm-hmm. either they've seen a video or because we've told them of a story. Oh, remember when I was like two and that I did this, 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 it's not that they, yeah. it's more because they've heard it. So for your kids, those those memories of everybody else are becoming their own memories to carry of Aria. Yeah. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Um and then did I interrupt did I interrupt? Was there something else you were saying regarding the
0: fine? I just we just do a lot. We we talk about her a lot. And then I guess the work that I do, I get to talk about her a lot too, and really my experience of her death and her life and everything what it's taught me and given to me. And like we've often talked about like what would our life be like, you know, without her dying? What would our life be like? And it feels like so much has changed that. I wouldn't even have a clue
1: where we would be in our lives mm-hmm. and that's fine. the that's it, interesting because sometimes like we wonder the what ifs and the and so forth and and as much as we we would have we would have not necessarily we don't want necessarily that experience to have happened yet at the same time it was meant to happen for the life to be what it is now and so it's hard to sometimes turn back time and figure out even looking at it what would it look like now because it's just it was just not part of the greater plan of of God for that to be and I mean I know you're religious so I can say that word you know um so yeah it was not part of his plan for that to be and um And I guess in, in your, in your case, faith has been one of those aspects that has brought you then comfort in your journey. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: it has. With with the kids, when you were talking about them eating and stuff like that, have any of them ever mentioning mentioned, um, do they talk to her? Like, do they see her things like that too? Do you have any anecdotes? No, but
0: just more like they talk about her and, and what she, you know, she's eating too, but not like she's there eating, but they're kind of joking. Like,
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. That's cute. I'm yeah. glad that they, that they, you know, keep her there in their, in their daily, daily memories in life. Yeah. Baby. Is there something else you wanted to share that I did not ask any, any words of wisdom for the listeners that may, somebody that may be just starting their grief journey at this moment what would you say to them right now? I
0: would what would say, you say to
1: yourself if, right? If you, you know what I mean? Like what would <laughs> even like, if you had, you just experienced this?
0: Yeah. I would say just give yourself a lot of compassion and grace and know that your tank is beyond empty. Like you, everything that you could do before everything that was possible for you before is going to take gigantic effort to do now so just like cut out everything that you don't need to do and really give yourself the grace and the space to grieve and give yourself that permission to grieve because processing the emotions and feeling the pain and working through it is really the only way through grief we can't get through grief without going through it um I really wanted to just go to sleep and wake up on the other side of it and it's just not possible you have to go through it um, and just give yourself a lot of grace because you need it and you need that space and time and really the space to process and work through it and I would just encourage you to get the support and help that you need either with me or with Kendra or with therapists or with whoever that you connect with and feel like It can help you because you do not need to do this alone. It is not something that you need to do alone. There's so much help. Um, There's so many resources. And I would just encourage you to seek that help and get the help because you can learn so many things and you really get yourself out of a stuck place in a lot faster way when you have that support and help and guidance.
1: Thank you. And then t- sharing about that, share a little bit how people can find you and how what would working with you look like for somebody that's wanting, do you uh, only work with bereaved mothers?
0: So I focus on bereaved moms, um, but I can, I really believe that grief is universal. It's a universal experience. And so if somebody wanted to, I can definitely work with them one-on-one, but I do like group coaching with moms have a group program, and I have a grief program that moms can get as well. But I have done one on work, one work, but I'm more focusing on my group. And then I also have a program that could be for anybody, but it's really like the wording is for like moms who have lost a child. But this program, I like, I have no doubts it can help anyone with grief. But it's called "Stop Talking, Start Feeling," and like we're talking about how you begin to we don't feel the emotions as much we fight them we don't want to feel them and it can feel really scary to feel them and instead we talk about it a lot we try to talk our emotions out of our body and sometimes we need to stop talking and we need to go internal and begin feeling that experience of the sensations inside of our body and so it's a mini program mini workshop um, that really just dives into that and how emotions work and really gives you a different perspective of emotions so they're not so scary and that you can embrace them because grief is not your enemy it's really a place to hold space for and care for and remember the person who died who you lost so much that's why you have grief Mm -hmm. so that's a beautiful description
1: of it that's a beautiful. Wow. Just, can you say that again? Grief is really a place where say 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 that description again. It's just so like, beautiful.
0: It's just really a place to care for and hold space for the, the grief that you have because yes. you have the grief because of the love that you have for the person that you lost.
1: Yes, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. See, I always learn even in these in these interviews myself. Like it's like we're constantly learning and seeing different perspectives and just even ways of of. Um, of wording what grief is so thank you for sharing that and and thank you for for sharing aria with us and your journey and um for everything that now you're doing for others as well and I will make sure to add your website and it's your name your your name uh, if you want to just say it just in case people don't Yeah, my name
0: It's H I L L U K K A. So there's two L's and two K's. And Megan is with,
1: it's M-E-G-A-N, because sometimes those have different, yeah, and then H-I-L-L-U, double L and double K.
0: Yeah, and if you want to do that workshop, that mini workshop, it's just meganhillica.com slash workshop. And then I also host a podcast called Grieving Moms
1: Podcast. Oh, that, you see, I did, oh, there's my dog now talking here in the, what is, what is your podcast called?
0: It's called Grieving Moms Podcast.
1: Oh, okay. Perfect. You see, I didn't know that part. I didn't know that you were also a podcast yeah. host. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again and thank you for the kids and for your babysitter too for <laughs> <laughs> for giving you this space. So, thank yeah, you, thank
0: Megan. You, I appreciate it.
1: Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today.